Real faith. The question um, a number of months ago is where are we going to go when we um, end our, or, or hit the pause button in our study in Genesis? Where are we going to go? And of course, Dave referred to it. You know, considering the events of the last year or so, um, wondering what are, what are the things that, that provoke us to see whether or not our faith is actually real? And so, of course, your mind, the mind of a pastor immediately goes to the book of James because he, be, he begins with, we're to count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever we face trials of various kinds. Because we know that trials are the things that God permits and even causes to come in our lives to show us what our faith is truly in. And so we headed through, we started through a number of weeks ago, the book of James. First 18 verses, trials are coming to test our faith. To what? To develop perseverance, to develop steadfastness, to develop patience in our hearts, in our personal beings, so that we would continue to grow in maturity and come to the place in our relationship with the Lord where we are mature and complete, not lacking a single thing. Now, of course, we know that ends the day we stand before our Lord and He has completely glorified us when we will be made um, perfect in every way. But our faith along the way being expressed reveals that we are maturing in our relationship with the Lord, heading toward that place of maturity and completion. And along with these trials that come into our lives, we also know there, there are temptations that come that wanna provoke us to respond in ways that are not God-honoring, temptations. But here's what we know about temptations. According to Matthew chapter 18, Jesus says, woe to the world for temptations. They're going to come, and he says they must come. And why would Jesus say they, may, they must come? Because it reveals to us, temptation reveals to us the very things of this world that we are tempted to go after, revealing to us the very thing that makes us what we are, and that's our own evil desires. Apart from the implanted Word of God, our own evil desires will be what is continuing, it will be continued to be expressed, re revealing an immaturity in our relationship with the Lord and our faith, and showing us where adjustments need to happen. That's temptation. Temptation's not the problem, church, we are. It's our own evil desire that we are born with. First 18 verses, and Jasper said it, next week, um, this, is really, this is really quite frightening to me. So trial has come. Wendy and I are going to stand before you next Sunday and we're going to share what the Lord has done in our lives. And that's frightening because we've never done that before. We sat around the table drinking coffee, sharing it with those that the Lord has chosen to bring into our lives, but we've never formally and officially declared, hey, this is what the Lord has done. This is the trial that began in 1998 when God took Dave, Wendy's late husband, from her, and then in 2000 when God saw fit to take my late wife, Andrea, from me, and then him bringing us together. Constant trial. God proving himself over and over. Temptations. Our last 20 years, our last 22 years are laced with trials and temptations to, spawn, to respond in a right way. So that's next Sunday. Pray for us, please. Um, it is a bit unnerving, and uh, we'll see what the Lord does. Today, we're going to finish chapter one. Real faith, real faith is expressed as I do 
the word, not just listen. As I do the word and not just listen. So I don't know if you've seen this question bouncing around social media, but if you right now were given the ability to go back and tell your 18-year-old self something and you were given three words, what would you tell your 18-year-old self? Here are some of the responses. Don't have sex. That's what I would tell my 18-year-old self, someone says. Don't start smoking. Don't do drugs. Try even harder. Listen to your parents. Listen to is one word. My favorite response of all, and I believe this is the heart of every individual that sits in here. This is more than three words, because this guy said, I wouldn't even waste my time because I wouldn't even listen to my future self. I was so caught up in who I was and what I wanted to do. Obedience. What do you think about that word, obedience? When God speaks, real faith responds. What do you think about the word obedience? To be compliant, to yield, to submit yourself to another authority, someone that is above you, that's what obedience is. Why is obedience so hard? Because very often we don't agree with what we're being told, and so we believe that that gives us permission to not be obedient. We don't like to obey unless it benefits us, and so we begin this measuring of the, the, the thing that has been placed in front of us, that we're, this, this charge that's been placed in front of us to do or not do, and we're deciding whether or not I should do this. Obedience, it's hard. It's hard to be truly obedient. It's not in our nature, and we know it from the very moment that Adam and Eve, our first father and first mother, took of the fruit. In disobedience, they chose to go contrary to what God had to say to them. First act of disobedience. It's in our nature. It's been passed from them on down the line to our grandparents, our parents, and now to us, and we pass it to our children. It's hard to be truly obedient. We see it in our kids, don't we? From the moment they start thinking for themselves and reasoning for themselves, we see their true nature, their little evil desires is, I want to be in charge, not you. So listen, last week I had some fun with my dog. This week, I'm going to have a moment of fun with cats because I believe our kids are very much like cats. And here's why. I did not realize this until just recently, but cats, they have a middle digit. You don't know it because they never have to use it. They're never even tempted to use it because they just look at you, and the look they give you declares the very thing that that digit typically declares. That's your child. When you say, do not take that cookie, and they give you that same look that, that your cat does as they reach and they take the cookie and they put it in their mouth. That's right. That's exactly it. I hear a child laughing down here because he knows that's true. And we're guilty of promoting that, promoting that disobedience in them when we don't hold them accountable. How many times do you hear a parent saying, one, two, don't let me get to three, because if I get to three, they never get to three, seldom get to three, because they don't want to hold their child accountable for the poor decision that they had just made. How about this one? 
We promote disobedience with our kids. Why do we have to answer their why? Why can't we just say, because I said so? Here's what we try and do, parents, and tell me if you're not this, trying to be this clever. I'm going to try and teach my child to think it was his or her idea to go to bed on time. To teach my child it's his or her idea to wash his or her hands before a meal. I want them to think it was their idea. That way it removes disobedience, or that removes the, 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 the potential for obedience because they have decided for themselves what I should do or what they should do. Listen, we experience it ourselves with our employers, with our teachers and professors. I think of it in terms of professors in particular. When I sat down, when I sat down in every class that was placed before me at syllabus, in the syllabus, the professor was saying, this is what you need to do in order to succeed in this class. So if you were anything like me, you whipped through the, uh, what did I just call that thing? The syllabus, you, you flip through the syllabus, determining for yourself what I should and shouldn't do in order to make the grade. Disobedience. He's not going to tell me what to do. She's not going to tell me what to do. I'm going to determine what is best for me in this class. We, if you've ever played a sport, you know it with your coaches. Here we go. If the government says to do something, I'm not going to do it if I don't agree with it. Our very nature says, I don't want to obey, especially when we don't agree. How do you respond when God says, do this, not that? You run up against a brick wall. Okay. My employer can do it this way. He can say it this way. My professors and my teachers are demanding this of me. I can, I can manipulate and maneuver within that structure so that it benefits me. And then you hit the brick wall. You run up into God. When God says, do this, not that. When God says, this is right, that is wrong, and you don't want to hear it. But God knows your every thought, He knows your every intention, He knows your every motive, and He is ready to respond to you when you say, you might say this is wrong, but I'm going to take it anyway. You may say this is right, but I don't agree with you. How do you respond when God says, do this, not that? How do you respond when God says, this is right, that is wrong? The trial is on temptation is placed before you to not listen and to do things in accordance with your own personal plan. It rises up in you, causing your own evil desires to spark. I don't want to listen to that. I'm not going to listen to that. I'm going to do it my own way. So, what are the things for you, church, the things that God says clearly in His Word that are hard for you to accept? What are those hard things? When God speaks, real faith responds by doing and not just by hearing. So turn with me now to James chapter 1, verses 19 to 25. James 1, 19 to 25. We got to fly, okay? Know this, my beloved brothers. Every person, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. 
but be doers of the word and not just hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he looks like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being not hearers, or being, not, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Verse 26 says, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. When God speaks, real faith responds. Look at this. You know it. The passage says it. When God speaks, real faith responds by being quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Quick to hear. Quick to hear this. Quick to hear the Word of God. What is the Word of God telling you? This is, this means that you are on the edge of your seat in anticipation for what God has to say to you. You are hungry to hear from it. You are so hungry to hear from it that it drives you to the Word. Your hunger drives you to the Word. You really want to hear from God and all that He has to say. And He has so much to say to us, church. This is a ears open with a channel directly from your ears into your heart, an idea or, or a hope that it's going to sink through your ears into your heart and bring an everlasting change because the Word of God is what does it. Man, I think about my 18-year-old self and if I would have just listened to what the Word of God said, I think about how many things I could have avoided in life that were troublesome to me. How do you hear the Word, church? How do you hear it? What makes you quick to hear? What proves you are quick to hear and patient to listen to what God has to say? I'm supposing many of you would say, I have personal devotions with the Lord. I come to church every Sunday and I hear the sermons that are preached. I attend a small group. I go to BSF. I have spiritual leaders in my life that speak into my life. How is it that you find yourself hearing the Word of God in such a way that is trans it is transforming your life, sinking deep into your heart. Need to be a hearer of the Word, a listener. Also slow to speak. Slow to speak the Word of God. And so I need to pause here for a moment. I sent out my prayer requests to the 60 people that I have praying for me throughout the course of the week, and I said, please pray for me because I have misused this passage, these verses, over and over and over throughout the course of my whole entire life. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Yeah, you should, men, you should be quick to listen to your, to your wife. Absolutely. Hear her. Un try and understand what she is saying. Yeah, that's true. Slow to speak. Based on what you just heard your wife say, men, you should be slow to respond and making sure you're doing it in a very thoughtful way and never respond to your wife in anger. Because anger doesn't bring about the righteousness of God. It doesn't. And you're like, but, but Paul says that we're, we're to be angry and not sin. Here, if you're trying, if you're trying to find the way to be righteously angry to your spouse or to someone in your life, I promise you this, you're gonna miss it. Because you, you're, you're saying, I want to be angry. 
Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Everything I just said is absolutely right, and the Bible would agree with it. But here at Summit Church, we want to make sure we understand the context of the passage, who it was written to, and what the writer intended to say. And this is what he intended to say. Be quick to listen to the Word of God. Be slow to speak the Word of God. Be slow to anger because of what the Word of God is saying to you. There are many things in the Word of God that make us angry, aren't there? Requests that God makes of us in order for us to represent Him. James intends for us to respond to this passage as he is declaring it in regard to the Word of God. Quick to listen, slow to speak. And I stand before you today. I would call it a safe miss, praise God. But James, the first thing I shared, James didn't mean that. He meant in regard to the Word of God, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And I stand up here humbled, Because James says, not many of you should presume to be teachers, to be teachers, for you know that the ones that teach are going to be judged with greater strictness. And right now, I bet you're saying, man, I'm glad I'm not standing up there. I would like to not be standing up here too. But God says you're going to stand up there today and you're going to declare this message. Wrongly reading this passage and wrongly using it. Listen, though, if you are a parent you are going to be judged with how you teach your kids in accordance with the Word of God. If you are a brother in Christ, you are going to be judged with that level of strictness depending on how you use it with other brothers and sisters in Christ. Be slow to speak. Be slow to speak. What are the things that cause you to speak quickly when you want to prove that you have an answer? Does that one sound right? You want to have an answer. I have to have an answer for that. No, you don't. Here's the permission given to you from one of your pastors. I don't know the answer to that. Let me take a look into it. Slow to speak. Slow to speak. When we want to defend ourselves in a belief that we have been brought up to believe. I have believed this way all my life, and I'm going to be quick to defend what I've believed all my life without taking into account anything that my brother or sister would have to say in regard to that same thought or same truth. When I want to defend what I believe, here's another one for you. When someone is either out of line or hurting, the out of line, you want to, slow to speak because the tendency is they're out of line. I'm going to respond in anger with the sword of the spirit and I'm going to dice them up and show them where they're wrong. Slow to speak. That's not the way we address the sin that others in our lives have. Slow to speak. And you know what? Slow to speak the word of God when someone is hurting because while the person might agree with you when you say, hey, trust in the Lord with all your might and lean not on your own understanding. They might agree with that, and that is absolutely true, but understand this, in deep valleys of despair, just simply being present, being slow to speak and being present is what matters in those moments. Slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to speak, and of course, slow to become angry because man's anger does not produce the righteousness of God. Hey, listen. When the Word of God is declared, you're going to respond one of two ways. There is no middle ground to this, especially as it relates to the hard things. And the moment Jesus was ascended Pentecost came and he pours his spirit out on the disciples. They start speaking in crazy tongues. Peter steps up and he delivers a magnificent gospel presentation. 
And he points the finger to them and he says, the one that you crucified. And so I say to you, church, the one that you crucified is the one that is Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. They were cut to the heart and driven to a place of repentance. What a magnificent response to the direct word of God. A few chapters later, we see Stephen standing, and he gives a, he gives a much more detailed expression of the gospel message. And he does the same thing, calling them hard-hearted and points the finger at them and says, it's you, you are sinners. You need to kneel and repent to him. And what did they do, the listeners to Stephen? They ground their teeth in rage. They ground their teeth in rage, in anger, because of what they had just heard. They were being accused of being sinners in need of this one Jesus that they couldn't stand. Slow to anger when God's word is spoken. When you hear what it has to say, it's going to provoke you some you're not going to like to hear. Be slow to anger over those things that God places before you that you don't like. Your anger will not produce everlasting change. It will not produce righteousness. So, question for you, church. What are some of the hard things God says that make obedience to him hard for you? What are they? What are they? I have mine. I wonder what yours are. Would you rather be, this is one of mine, and then we have to move on. Would you rather be rebuked because of something you've done wrong, or would you rather rebuke as you see someone in your life that you love doing something wrong? Rebuke me all day long. Rebuke me all day long. But God, don't ask me to point out the sin of my brother or sister in Christ. I, I don't want to do that. But you know what he says? He says you got to do it. Quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because man's anger does not produce the righteousness of God. When God speaks, real faith responds. Here's another one. When God speaks, real faith responds by letting the word of God change you. Look at verse 21. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. The implanted word. A week and a half ago, I ended a run with this request to the Lord. Tell me if you've ever prayed this. Lord, I want more of you. I'm done. It was a beautiful day. Just finished my run. Lord, I want more of you. And you know what he said to me? You, had, you have had access to all of me the moment you gave your life to me. The moment I poured my Holy Spirit out into you, you had full access to who I am and to me. I am in you and you are in me. We are together, he says. And then I'm like, how many times have you prayed this prayer? Lord, pour your spirit out. Okay, so pour your spirit out on me. I know I have all of you, but I want more of your spirit. And he says, same deal. At the moment of salvation, I gave you all of me through the indwelling of my Holy Spirit. You have all of me. Okay, so all right, well then, Lord, I want to, I want to experience you more. Well, that one's a little different. I, we have all of God in us through, the, through his Holy Spirit. 
but I want to experience him more. If I have all of him, how in the world do I experience more of him? He has implanted himself with his word into my heart, into your heart. How do we experience him more? And he said, if you want to experience me more, you need to look more like me and you need to act more like me. That's how you will experience more of me, by being me. That was his answer. And so, of course, that provoked a little impatience because I know how hard that is. He had to resist the desire for the rising anger that's inside of me. Be more of me and less of you. Be a doer of the word and not just a hearer. This is obedience, he said, be obedient. Put away all filthiness and the rampant wickedness, our evil desires that we learned last week, that temptation reveals, this is who I am. He says, put it all away, put it all away. And you know, church, based on our own effort, there is no possible way to put aside those things of our flesh that corrupt us and that don't reflect the, the Christ-likeness that He desires from us, our evil desires. We can make every effort, but the only way is through the implanted Word of God in us. Here's what honors God in that. We recognize that the implanted Word of God is the thing that can change our hearts. What He wants from you and me, as we are quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, this is what He wants to hear or see from you and me. When there's an angry response provoked in me, you, listen, I know this, you can't help it. You can't help when that boils out of you. What you can help is how you outwardly express that. When you with obedience are deciding, I know this is filthy, I know this is a rampant wickedness, and I'm not going to express it, that's obedience to God. And when you are obedient to God, He is going to honor you in your obedience. And over and over and over as you experience victory over these filthy, nasty things, He's going to change your heart. And you know what? Your heart's not going to respond to those filthy, nasty things. The implanted Word of, the God, word of God is the key to everlasting change. That's how we put off the filthiness and rampant wickedness. And that is ultimately that which saves our souls. It has the ability to save our souls as we let it do its work in our hearts. What is the filthy and wicked thing in your heart? Now listen. I say that a lot, don't I? The guys make fun of me for that. Now listen. What was I going to say? Here's the truth, brother in Christ, sister in Christ. The word is planted in you, and you're not going to get away with it for long if you're living in disobedience to that. He's going, he has intention to save your soul. It's already saved, and he will, not let, he will not permit you to continue on pursuing the filthy and the wicked things that are in your heart. He's going to get you. And there is such beauty in that to know that he's not going to let me slide. Wonderful. Hey, when God speaks, we've got to keep moving. When God speaks, real faith responds. And, and it responds by this, by doing what God says. 
Verse 22 through 25 say that we're to be doers of the Word. We're supposed to do the Word and not hearers only deceiving ourselves. And then it likens us, doers, not just hearers, to someone who goes and looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Okay, so 52 years old, it's getting way easier to walk past the mirror not look at myself in it. I see the chin falling. I see the hairline rising. I make sure I have a shirt on when I pass in front of the mirror. It's just, you don't really even want to see what you truly look like as you age and you see yourself in front of a mirror. How do we respond to the Word of God in regard, in, like as you think of it in those terms? We got to be quick to hear the Word, but the Word reveals the true nature of who I am, and I don't like that. No, that's not a good experience, but it must happen. The Word of God must reveal to us who we are and what we look like. Why do we forget what we look like? Now think about that. I don't want to see this. I want to forget what this is. The same goes with the Word. What causes us to hear and not do? God presents us with something we become complacent because we don't care. We fear because we see what it means. There's a laziness to us. There's an apathy. And so we're quick to forget because we really don't care. Here's, this, is, this is the hardest one, church. I'm quick to forget because I don't want to remember because it's too hard. What God just said, I don't want to remember that. Because if I remember it, conviction pours into my soul. I don't want to remember the things that convict me. I just want to live my life pursuing this and that that God says I shouldn't. And if I remember it, it tortures me. The Word is a crystal clear mirror. As you look into it, it reveals to you when you look like Jesus and when you don't look like Jesus, when you are being obedient and when you are not being obedient. What, what is the hardest thing that God has asked you to do? What has he asked you to do? Take the off-ramp, church. Avoid that temptation that is being dangled out in front of you as you go 100 miles an hour down the highway of temptation. Take the off-ramp and run right to Jesus and do what he says. Look into, look into, look at verse 25. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and he perseveres, being not a hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in what he does. It's the law of liberty. The Bible is that which brings freedom. But I don't like what he says here. I promise you, based on the Word of God, if you do what it says, He will bring you joy and blessing and peace and understanding that you would never have imagined if you hadn't gone after that and listened to that. What are the things that God is asking you to do? Look at what the Word of God says. Trust in what He says receive the law of liberty 
Do what he says and watch what he does. Give it a chance. Give it a try. Listen to this. This is what God said to Israel just before they went into the promised land. Deuteronomy 28. Tell me if you don't want this to look like, your life to look like this. Tell me you don't want to fit into this. And if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth, and all the blessings shall come, uh, shall come upon you and overtake you. All the blessings will come upon you and they'll overtake you. I love that. If you obey the voice of the Lord your God, blessed shall be you in the city and blessed shall be you in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of the ground and the fruit of your cattle, the increase of your herds and your, your young and your flocks. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in and blessed shall you be when you go out. That sounds like a group of people that are skipping through the meadow with green grass, perfect temperature, no humidity, water is plentiful, not a worry in the world, everything is provided. That, if you are a listener of the word and you do what God says, this is his promise to you as it relates to your spirit. No matter what trial comes, no matter what temptation is presented to you, your soul will rejoice because you're obedient to what God is saying to you and what he's asking you. Even when things don't go the way you think they should or want them to, your soul will respond with peace and joy. You will become mature and complete, not lacking anything. Temptation will continue to fall away. When God speaks... Real faith responds by doing what God says. Here's the last one. When God speaks, real faith responds by being genuine. Genuine, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, verse 26, but deceives his heart, this person's religious is worthless. Oh, the destructive nature of the tongue. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Being genuine means guarding your tongue. In a couple of, I don't know, a month or so, six weeks, we're gonna be into chapter three. And this is what James says of your tongue. This is what James says of my tongue. It has the capacity to set the entire course of your life on fire if it is out of control. He calls it a restless evil full of deadly poison. That's your tongue, if it is not bridled. Guarding your tongue. Speaking the truth in love. Being patient as you deliver it to your children, to your spouse, to the unsaved in your life. Bridling your tongue is being truly genuine. And you will be seen by others, and they're going to want what you have. Because there are not many that know how to control their tongue. Bridle your tongue. Being genuine means this, that you're looking after the, those who are in need. Visit orphans and widows in their affliction. Here's what this means to me. Well, here's, This is the personal application for me, and tell me if you don't have one yourself. Again, I was finished a run two Tuesdays ago, 
And there's this woman, she looked to be in her late 60s, a big old pile of mulch. I had nothing to do Tuesday night. So Kata and I, we were going to go to Buffalo Wild Wings while Wendy had her Bible study. And so I'm walking past this lady who has this massive pile of mulch and a shovel and a wheelbarrow. And she says, man, I wish it wasn't so windy. It's hard to spread mulch in the wind. I, that didn't make sense to me, but she was inviting conversation. And I said, yeah, it sure is. I just kept going. I had nothing to do that evening. She lived right, not in my neighborhood, but walking distance away. Wouldn't it have been right for me to say, Caden, we're going to go and we're going to help this lady tonight, even if we do it for a half an hour, 45 minutes. We're going to bless her with that. That's looking after orphans and widows in their distress. I don't even know if she was a widow, but she needed help. That's the true heart behind this. When God presents someone in need to you, whether it's financial, whether it's requiring time, whatever it is, be genuine, express the love of Christ, be a help. Look after those in need, pursue purity. Keep oneself, the end of that passage says, verse 27 says that you are to keep yourself from being, or, or to keep oneself unstained from the world. What are the stains of the world that you wish were not stains? Hmm? Maybe you like to get drunk. Man, I wish that wasn't a stain because it feels so good to be drunk. That's a stain of the world. And God says, don't do that. And if you don't do it, and it's a temptation for you, he's going to bless you in it. And it's going to be wonderful. I remember when I was in ninth grade. I wish my parents wouldn't have let me date girls. Caden's not allowed. He knows it. You can't date a girl until you're a junior in college, and I mean it. But when I was in ninth grade, and this makes sense, I went with my girlfriend to her youth group, and the senior pastor declared this. Here I am sitting with my girlfriend in ninth grade. Guys, you know what I'm talking about here. And this is the message that senior pastor declared. You know, your emotions are a wonderful guide. And he essentially said, if it feels good, go ahead and do it. And I'm looking around like, so what you're telling me is if it feels good, I can do this. He was essentially saying, absolutely. And I'm sitting with my girlfriend right next to me. Guys, you know where my head went. Those types of things happen everywhere. Everywhere. We want our feelings to be that which tells us what is right. God's word says that is not right. You let the word of God declare what is right and unstained by the world, and you go after that, not what your feelings are telling you what is right and wrong. The world would tell you you're to give full vent to your anger. Did you know there's a place called a, there are places called rage rooms that you can actually go and take a sledgehammer, anywhere from 25 bucks to 250 bucks or something like that, and just go in there and give full vent to your rage? That's what the world says. The Proverbs say, you are foolish if you give full vent to your anger. Man, I wish we could give full vent to our anger, but that's a stain. It feels good to let it out. That's a stain that the world wants us to go after. Here we go. In the beginning, God made man and woman. God is the one that determines gender, not you. Retaliation over forgiveness. I want my pound of flesh. 
And the world would say, you should get it. Justice must be served. That's not what the Bible says. God says, love your enemies and do good to them, the ones that mistreat you. Retaliation over forgiveness is not right. Lay it down, forgive. What is it for you? What are the stains of this world that God is saying to you, stay away from, keep yourself from those things? So that's it, church. That's a, there's way more in those, these, this passage I wish we could spend more time in. But how do you respond when God says, do this, not that? How do you respond when God says, this is right and that is wrong? When God speaks, I'm going to end with this, when God speaks, real faith obeys. You ready for this? Where is your faith? It is revealed by a few verses here. John 14, 15, Jesus says, If you love me, you will keep my commands. Where's your faith? In John 14, 21, six verses later, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Two verses later, John 14, 23, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Where is your faith? When God speaks, fake faith disobeys. John 14, 24 says, Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. Real faith is expressed through obedience. Real faith is expressed through obedience when we do what God says. Listen, there might be someone in here today that does not have the implanted word of God. You do not have the Holy Spirit of God. I'm, like, you're, you're not, the things of this book that we use as our foundation in this church are discerned, are able to be received by the person that has the Holy Spirit of God. Your life, if it's not a wreck today, we'll head towards a place where it will be a wreck, and the only answer is this, the implanted Word of God. We implore you, be reconciled to God. Receive Him and let Him change your life. For the saved, the implanted Word of God, the perfect law that gives freedom, this is for us. Let's together, shoulder to shoulder, with each other, in small groups, in Sunday morning worship, and wherever else you see yourself interacting with brothers and sisters in Christ, together work towards obedience to Him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Your Word is so incredibly rich, and thank You for the provoking work it does in our hearts. I pray now, Lord, as we have received Your Word, the implanted word, I pray, Lord, that you would bring everlasting change, continuing to bring us to a place of maturity in our relationship with you. Stir in us our love and affection for you, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.